filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Adam, you don't know what time my body clock says We just changed the clocks yesterday. Today was the first day you would have woken up. My body is very punctual. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Guys, uh, possibly our shortest show ever. I I'm hearing this, but I'm mostly thinking about how the clock change and Harrison, New Jersey's and Harrison, New Jersey's bizarre affinity for having street lamps, but not having lights in the network. Um, I mean, Jason, you chose to go to Harrison. uh, I chose to go to Red Bull Arena for the women's national team game. Um, Harrison, unfortunately, happens to be where Red Bull Arena is. I will say it seemed like Harrison's probably nice if you're not trying to pilot a vehicle in Harrison. Um, there's like stuff to do. There's like a there's a heavily Portuguese uh, influence to the town. So there's a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally have access to, at least for me in the Maryland suburbs. You don't have access to this kind of thing. So there's a lot of cool stuff to see. Um, but also your car might drive into like a pothole like that one in the Blues Brothers movie that the Nazis car uh, drives into at the end uh, where he just yep. completely disappears. Um, a pothole of that size might swallow your vehicle. Um, yeah, uh, I guess on the plus side, though, the Red Bull Arena press box uh, is pretty much it's probably better than uh, media nerds deserve. Um, it's like the best seats in the entire house for real. Um, paying fan, fans that paid a lot of money were he- sitting in worse seats than I was um, to, to be at this game, which is kind of silly, but um, they built it. Uh, they built that stadium. Uh, I'll also credit the fans of the area for making it a real sellout, not a Red Bulls sellout. Because <laughs> at Red Bulls game, it's basically we can't we, one one person in the building counts for two. At least as far as announcements, uh, you start to see why Philadelphia and DC put their press boxes into the corners. <laughs> I mean, they're great seats. If more teams wanted to do it that way, it would be sweet for for people that cover the team. Um, I don't know if it necessarily benefits the team or or anyone else, but it definitely benefited me. It was pretty awesome. And you weren't even staring into the sun, so. I I wasn't. That's true. After Saturday's, uh, uh, even even wearing sunglasses, uh, I was still having to, like, position my my hands over like along my eyebrows. I'm showing you guys, but I'm trying to describe it to our listeners. Like, On like I'm saluting with, saluting with both hands uh, to try and keep the sun out further. Um, it's tough to use a computer when the screen is in your face. That's not how light works. Like the light doesn't allow for you to do all of those things. It's it. They don't play together. Well, I spend a lot of time. Like, where's my mouse cursor? <laughs> you know, there's, I, I assume somebody somewhere is developing a filibuster drinking game. And I'm really curious whether do. referencing the video chat uh, and the fact that this is an audio medium uh, is, is a free space oh, or I, if I it's an like, actual, I don't think no. it's a free space. We we didn't have video for a long time on this podcast yeah, even between us. This is a thing that happens like every six to eight weeks. Um, so it's it's a good rule, not a not yeah. a free space. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A free space would be um what are you drinking? What are you yeah. drinking, maybe, or like um Goats. a story about your children from the weekend because none of us have anything else to say uh from, from our weekends. Um something like that. Hey, hey, welcome in. What? This is filibuster the black and red united and self-referential podcast. I am Adam Taylor. Sorry, self-referential podcast is really just repetitive. Podcast. I, um, I'm Adam Taylor, 
joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and other soccer things. And tonight we're talking about DC United, like we always like to do here, uh, especially after a win. And DC United got one of those this weekend, two to one over the expansion side, Inter-Miami CF. We'll talk about that one in some detail. Uh, Second episode coming up later this week, we will preview DC United's visit to Cincinnati. Watch that one Saturday, March 14th, 5.30 p.m. on WJLA 24-7 News or ESPN Plus, depending on, I guess, your location at the time. Or the team's website. Or the team's website. Forgot about that. I I should have mentioned that. Yeah, it'll be streaming in the local DMV area uh, uh, at DCUnited.com. So you can do that, too. Before we talk about anything, though, of course, Ben, I have to ask you, what are you drinking? Right now, I am drinking delicious, delicious H2O. Uh, I went out earlier today for a co-workers going away party. We went to Bingo Beer Company here in Richmond, Virginia. And while I was there, I had a a pretty decent pale ale. Uh, Richmond is known for a thousand breweries, or so it seems. And some of them are better than others. And Bingo Beer Company is probably in like the top third it's not like one of the very best that's here in richmond but it's it's pretty decent and they had a nice outdoor space and a decent pale ale so that's what i had earlier today but right now water jason uh i was going to have beer uh i was going to have the very last beer from the pack of budweiser from last week and we were probably going to relive the whole same beer thing all over again but i drank that Why beer with dinner beer- how long uh, I, I drank the last one, which was do different from cork, the other beers. Do you use cork or do you use like a plastic stopper? Because putting the cap back on it, if it's a bottle, case. doesn't work. Uh, it, the answer is neither because it's not the same beer. It's a different Do you beer. have a capping machine where you just can like, like produce no. caps on your own? I do not have my own capping machine. I do not have an industrial scale operation for bottling beer. In, or in this bottle case, cappers. It's like a lever. In this case, uh, bottling an already opened beer. Um, I do not have any of those things. Uh, I also don't have any more beer because I drank the last one with my dinner. And so I did. I was like, oh, I was going to just have a second beer. And then I realized at the last second that I could not do that anymore. And so uh, through laziness, I have a uh, bourbon and Coke. Is it the same right. bourbon? It's Evan Williams, so I it might be the same bourbon from the last time I Wait, drank. Is that my bourbon? bourbon drink? Did you steal my uh, bourbon? Did you I drive down so. to Richmond just to steal my bourbon? No, I drove north, uh, not south. I drove three and a half hours north over the weekend. I did not drive south. Anyway, DC United won this weekend, so I am celebrating. Can I, uh, I, I wanna I wanna note to everyone going back to our open. That Ben is right now looking very skeptically at me as if he doesn't believe that I didn't steal his <laughs> bourbon. He, I mean, he believes that I stole the bourbon. He suspects it. At yeah. Least. Yeah. I actually am drinking something I got from one of you. Um, my good friend, Jason <laughs> Anderson, brought me some uh, Pikesville rye. Uh, I did not steal it. No, I did not. Uh, I paid him for it. In fact, yeah, I handed he, it he to said, him. I there found no Pikesville theft. with a good price. Does a anybody fight. want any? I said, yes, didn't please. struggle over it, and Adam didn't like steal it, get it out of my hands, and run away. No, none of that. It was very not dramatic. Ooh, that's yeah. a good question. In a foot race, who is faster, Jason or Adam? Oh, I think it's Adam by a lot. Um, I'm very slow, uh, <laughs> just in general. Um, and also, I, Adam... Adam lives in a city, so he's like on a bike and he's got kids, so he's chasing them around. I am generally just sitting down, um, which is just making it worse. The slowness is just getting worse. See, I was thinking I have a good short burst, but not a lot of endurance. But if I could just use a little short burst to get away from you and then just maintain distance, I might be able to to keep that up. Anyway, Pikesville rye is what I'm drinking. (laughs) It's delicious. Um, I was going to drink it a couple weeks ago to inaugurate the new season, but, uh, I went to Red Bear and got that, uh, give me Samoa, uh, Girl Scout cookie inspired beer and felt Ah, that I had to do that and keep that bit going. Because if there's one thing as a podcast we're required to do, it's to keep bits going much longer than anybody would like. So in that interest, I'm going to end this bit and 
return to soccer. DC United got their first points of 2020 on Saturday, taking full advantage of a red card to Roman Torres and a disallowed goal against to come from behind for a 2-1 win over visiting Inter-Miami. Uh, Rodolfo Pizarro got Miami's first ever goal uh, very early in this game, second minute. Um, Thankfully, Yamil Assad and Frederick Briant were able to find the back of the net in rapid succession to give DC United the 2-1 margin. The story from this one is obviously the VAR, the video review that turned a 2-0 deficit for DC United into a 1-0 deficit with a man advantage, uh, which they obviously uh, put to good use. Um Kind of a, a strange sequence, but if you were watching, not not totally surprising if you were paying attention to to the things that happened. It started when Roman Torres made a bad pass and Julian Gressel picked it off in Atlanta's or in uh, Miami's half. The ball bounced. Roman Torres misplayed it. Gressel looked like he was set to go in behind because he he had managed to turn Torres the wrong way, or Torres turned himself the wrong way. Um but somehow Torres comes away with the ball. Gressel immediately turns to the referee, throws his arms up, demanding a handball call. Uh, several passes later, uh, Lewis Morgan, is that who it was? Uh, puts the ball in yes. the net for Miami uh, off of a, a, a bad deflection. Um, Bill Hamid had no chance because of this deflection. Uh, but immediately the ref goes to... VAR, and as soon as he starts walking to the monitor, the players pick up the ball and put it where the handball occurred, which tells me that they all knew what was coming. There was no question. The Miami players weren't hanging around uh, their half of the... uh, hanging around as if they were ready for kickoff. They were setting up to defend a a set piece um, because it was a clear and obvious handball from Roman Torres. I mean, yeah, once you got the good uh, replay and those of us watching on uh, 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 Univision or on Twitter uh, got it a little faster than those in the stadium. But it was clear that not only did it like bounce off of Roman Torres's arm, but he also like guided it and then kind of like flipped it to the ground. I mean, he was obviously manipulating that ball and doing well, and events. he had his fundamentals down he never took his eye off the ball <laughs> <laughs> right he just he watched his eyes his to arm. slap yeah. the ball down onto the ground <laughs> like there, there was uh, no plausible deniability on this one no no and it was called back and it was called back correctly and the red card was also correct because julian gressel was if not for that, he had an uh, a obvious goal scoring opportunity, and so both legs of that were correct uh, once you once you processed it. So there may be some uh, uh, storm and and confusion about it, but once you really look at the, this is a success of VAR. They got the call right, uh, and thankfully DC United benefited from it. Yeah, and. It's an interesting situation because we've now had two straight weeks in which a a handball that far from goal has played a major part in a game. Um, Last in week one, there was the whole thing with Joe Willis uh, Mm -hmm. doing something wild at midfield. um, And it was ruled not a dog. So situation because um, Atlanta or Nashville had defenders retreating that might have been able to cut the shot off. (laughs) This was a situation where, Um, Gressel, if Gressel is allowed to make, first of all, I think Torres is also using like a straight up, like clothesline attempt. That's like why his hand is out there anyway. Um, so the combination of those things, um, if he doesn't do that, it's Gressel in alone on goal and there's no defender that's going to get there to stop the goal scoring opportunity. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, if you're thinking that that's a goal scoring opportunity, then the one in week one. As soon as Barco, I think it was Barco for Atlanta, had the shot that Willis slapped down at roughly at the center circle. Um, once he struck that shot towards an empty goal, I feel like that's a goal scoring opportunity as well. Um, so I think the explanation that PRO gave for that doesn't jive with this, but I think this is the correct one. Um, and you know, credit to Rubiel Vasquez, who is one of the newer refs in the league for getting this call right. I don't know that he necessarily had the absolute best game, 
Um, but I think this was a difficult and important call um, because it involves um, what's the terminology, the uh, attacking phase for Miami uh, being sparked by a dog. So foul with a handball. So there's a lot going into that. Um, tempers were already kind of high. It seemed like, it seemed like our, you know, my first impression of Miami as a team is that they are generally aggrieved to start the game. Um, and they become more aggrieved as anything goes against them at all. Uh, there was a lot of emotion, uh, from Miami throughout the game. Um, so yeah, you've got pressure from one team that, um, their goal should stand. Uh, you've got pressure from the home team and home fans that, uh, this call should be made. It's a, it's kind of, from his position, I understand why he didn't see it because Gressel's body is blocking his view of the handball. Um, the AR on that one side is looking at it from he's in line with it, but that's also a difficult, you know, can you say he, with he was probably when blocked by Torres's body, honestly, right. You know, because he, even if he has field. an angle on it, when you're that far away, if you've got a view of it, it's still like, well, was that his hand or was that Gressel's chest or what was it? Um, yeah. This is why VAR is in place is to, um, and fortunately, there was a camera angle, and even I'll even credit um, uh, Univision for making sure that they put the the good angle that showed us exactly what happened from behind the one goal. Um, so we see it; the referees get a good look at what went wrong, and they did the right thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good a good example of all of this stuff working like it should, rather than as we've seen in the past. Sometimes it doesn't, and it kind of ruins everyone's weekend. Andrew Wiebe with the league website, MLSsoccer.com, um, on his video series, Instant Replay, also agreed that this was not really an arguable call. It was very clear and very obvious. Um, DC United responded exactly how you would want them to respond to that kind of swing of good fortune. Uh, five minutes after the red card was issued, uh, Yamil Assad put away a penalty that had been won by Edison Flores, who beat, uh, who was it, Victor Uyoya, to a mm-hmm. uh, clearance, uh, touched the ball away and took a boot to the shoulder for his trouble, immediately went down. Maybe not the strongest contact, but I think that's a foul anywhere. If you put your foot up in the shoulder and neck area and you make contact with somebody, you don't get to say it's not a penalty anymore. Sorry. Yeah, it, it was it was a foul. It wasn't a card, but it was a foul. Yeah, yeah. it was an easy was, foul. And in the box, that makes dunk. it a penalty. Yeah, it was a slam dunk call. Like, yeah. Sorry, Weeby, you're wrong on this one. Um, or did he? I haven't seen the video. Did he said yeah, it wasn't he, a penalty? Yeah, he well, said that one wasn't crazy. a penalty. Did not talk about I'm the sorry. Sorga <laughs> shout later in the game. He just did those two plays. No, um, that, the, the penalty was like as clear as day. Um, yeah, yeah there's no... Call. Like it's not even I, honestly. It's not even worth us spending time addressing people saying it's not a penalty because that position is absurd. Um, so well taken penalty by Assad. Yeah. Uh, two minutes after that, or three minutes after that, uh, another free kick opportunity. Uh, Edison Flores takes a free kick, very nearly sneaks it in uh, between Robles and the post, but it goes off the post. Frederick Briant, uh, again, fundamentals are important. Follows the shot in, corrals it, and. Um, on his second touch, just puts his laces through it and sends the ball through the roof of the net uh, directly over Robles's head. He had no chance at it. Fantastic strike from, from Briant goal of the week candidate, in fact, and Pro- Briant for, for probably not going to win. Um, definitely not going to win. Does yeah. not deserve Jacob, to win. Deserves Jacob the nomination. Has, uh, did some, some sort of wild nonsense for Philly on Sunday. I didn't see that game, but I saw, uh, the gif after being told by women soccer writers, like, Hey, did you see that goal? And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, so yeah, it was that kind of, it spreads like I mean, wildfire. It was a 40 yard thunderbolt yeah. on a free yeah, kick. It's also just a center back that, that just joined the league. No one's even heard of, uh, having that goal. Uh, I think that adds to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I will say, um, going back for a second to the Assad penalty, I asked Olson after the game as part of my question, um, was was that Yamil's penalty to take? Because um, I, you know, overall we have a lot to, um, a lot of positives for DC. Not necessarily gameplay positives, but the fact that Assad scores a goal, Fisher gets to come back in, Odoi uh, mm-hmm. gets to come back in. They actually get to play an important part in the game, um, 
And Olsen said that uh, Kamara probably would have been the guy. If you remember, he took one in the preseason as well. But with him off the field, it appears that Assad is the second option. Um, yeah, I think really the penalty. way Assad, I, I, I watched him uh, after the whistle and he immediately trotted over to the ball, picked it up and is like, it was very yeah, clear oh, from his body language. Oh, like, yeah. I'm he taking this. Ball, yeah, he grabbed the ball and stood on the spot and just waited until the whole, like he wasn't involved in any of the other stuff. He was just like, I'm going to wait here and take this penalty. And if, if it takes a minute, then I'm just going to stand here staring at the goal. Um, yeah, and it did take a minute because yeah. uh, Miami players Miami. were trying to talk to him and talk to the ref. Yeah. Felipe went in and, you know, escalated things a little bit like he does very right. calmly. I mean, he he went up, he he knew that Pizarro was was very on edge and Pizarro was in there jawing and Felipe just puts his hand on him to start pushing him. Pizarro overdramatically smacks Felipe's hand down. Felipe like half steps to him like oh yeah like very subtly and Pizarro about loses it. It was it was a, a full game of that level of simmering tension though. Um yeah Felipe was was in his element. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah a- after the game Felipe, you know, he said someone asked him, you know, uh how did you feel with the 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 fact that it was such a heated atmosphere on the field and he was like, well we love that. Um <laughs> yeah, well, was, at least Felipe was, loves that. Yeah, no, he was genuinely like, no, this is this is uh, this is how it is that, you know, it, for him, it's all about the the passion for winning and the passion for the game. Um, but yeah, that game was definitely it was full of that kind of stuff. These teams, I, I hate to use the cliche, but these teams now do not like each other. That's um, one conclusion. I think that's fair is that the next time these teams play, I imagine it's going to be pretty chippy pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, the uh, the second goal, it, it's Flores again, you know just like he wins the penalty. He doesn't get credit for an assist for either of these, but he effectively creates both goals. Um, so that's a big plus. Um, you know, that it's a shame that that didn't get in because that's like a 27-yard bending free kick that probably doesn't win goal of the week because of Glessness, but uh, would have been closer than Briant. Uh, I guess uh, maybe the, the uh, you know, the Peruvian community might have uh, helped push him past uh, Glesnes, uh, you know, in the online voting. Um, but yeah, it's awesome for Briant. I, I think he even said after the game, I, I wasn't in that scrum, but I heard or I read maybe that the weekend is a blur to me. Um, but that um, the fact that uh, Robles had positioned himself expecting a ball served in for targets, not a shot on goal. Um that that is what gave Briant the space effectively to go get the rebound. Because if Robles had been off his line expecting the cross, I mean, he's probably then out there closer to where the ball rebounded to um, and maybe changes the angle, something like that. Um, so the fact that DC has this option in their back pocket of it doesn't always have to be service, doesn't always have to be burn bomber Briant as the target. It can be Flores going to goal from almost 30 yards. Um, it, it makes it more likely that more we'll see more set piece goals because one, he's probably going to put one of these away uh, Flores from one of these. If he's hitting the post from here against Robles, he's probably going to score pretty soon. And then two, if everyone's worried about that shot, they've also then got to let their guard down on the, the chip into the box instead. So, um, you know, and rebounds. What? Last yeah, we saw so that's two more rebounds two, and two set piece goals in three games uh, is a, a plus after last year, not maybe, maybe not being as good at that as they should have been with Rooney's service. Um, getting getting that on track, I think, is going to be a big key, especially as the team tries to figure themselves out because this wasn't a very good game despite nope. the scoreline. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Diego Alonso surprised just about everyone, I think, including Ben Olsen and DC United by running out a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, very different than the 4-2-3-1 he, he put out against LA. In that one, they sat a little deeper, more compact, trying to keep LAFC from doing LAFC things to them. In this one, they they used the, the front line of three to press very high and then would drop back into a, a block that was essentially 10 yards or 12 yards on either side of midfield. It was incredibly compact. Uh, and, and they just had all these bodies in there and it was impossible to play through DC United didn't know where defenders would be coming from, what the angles would be. And we saw in the first two minutes, two bad passes through midfield that were picked off and immediately 
Miami pinned their ears back and they were just sprinting forward and they got two good chances and one goal out of it just because of the chaos of that kind of counter. If they can do that to teams, they are going to be tough to play against. Luckily, DC United did figure it out and came back into the game and they were already starting to to be uh, an actual factor in the game, not just possessing the ball and then turning it over and defending a counter. They were actually starting to do a little better by the time of the red card, but man, that, uh, that opening sequence was rough. The the first 20 minutes were rough. Um, Mm -hmm. the opening sequence was obviously about as bad as it gets the giveaways. Um, it's Gressel with the giveaway on the goal. Um, but it wasn't the first giveaway in that first 100 seconds of the game. Um, Olsen after the game said that uh, and and Miami unfortunately gave coaches a very good reason to continue the trend of just not showing their preseason games to anyone. Um, Miami first week played four, two, three, one. We talked about this last week. Um, this game completely different three, four, three super compact. We've seen DC struggle with this in the distant past. Uh, if you think about the uh, Greg Burhalter switching to a mm-hmm. very similar approach uh, at RFK, uh, in what 2017, I want to say. Um, and it was a similar thing where it's just, well, one will trap was there. It just occurred to me now that they were both yeah, there. That's the, um, there's that string, but, uh, but two, just super, super organized, super content to drop off and look for those counters. And then when you counter go fast and try and end the counter with a shot, even if it's not the best shot. So, uh, you know, Miami ended up with 15 shots on the day, and I think at halftime they had like 10. Um, and a lot of it was just quick raids where it would end with somebody having a shot. Some of them weren't very good, like I said, but um, it was clearly the game plan. And, yeah. you know, Diego Alonso with a very new team of guys, Andres Reyes playing his first minutes in MLS uh, as their right center back. Um, they They looked good at it. They looked better than I would have expected. If you told me that that's what they were going to do, I would have thought this is not the day because this team is not, they haven't had time to gel yet. They haven't, they don't have that familiarity. It's an expansion team. Um, You're meshing a bunch of guys that are like half MLS veterans, half guys that were randomly picked up from elsewhere that haven't played in the league before. Um, Probably the kind of team I would say for five to six games, just play the same way to get, that you know experience going so that for with a long-term view you might be better uh it's difficult to do this when you play a different way in game one to go to game two and have a different approach uh, such a markedly different approach um but this is Diego Alonso he's won the CONCACAF Champions League with Monterey they dominated in Mexico while he was there mostly based on his ability to get his team organized and keep them from doing something too stupid and for most of the game they did that until Roman Torres committed a handball one of the things that stuck out to me about Miami's attack is on those counterattacks, they, I, I don't know if they were picking on Fred Briant, but they seem to pick him out and run at him in particular, knowing that he's not the fastest guy and knowing that I think the other DC defenders know that um, and might suck in a little bit more before looking for that layoff. And then they would, cut the ball back across the box. That's how Pizarro scored. And uh, there was another chance they missed very, very similar to that. I don't know if that's something that they did specifically for DC United or something that Miami will do going forward, but I hope it's not something other teams pick up on because it worked entirely too well. Well, another thing I've been seeing is it, it seems like there is a gap that teams have been able to exploit in between DC United center backs and the line of, I mean, basically just junior Moreno in the way the team is currently constructed. There are, there have been a bunch of layoffs, including on the uh, goal that was called off for the, for the handball. Uh, Yes, it was deflected, but it was available because they were able to lay the ball back off to the top of the 18 and just take a smack from, from there. And, that space, like 18 to 23 yards from goal, has been open for opposition teams in these first two games. And I don't know if it's the defense dropping too deep or that Junior Moreno can't cover all of that ground by himself, but that's been a space that opposing attacks have been able to exploit so far this year. And it goes hand-in-hand with uh, your Briant uh, thoughts. 
And this is something that came up, uh, if people remember back to the last time we saw the 4141 uh, for an extended period of time. This is just a more, this is the 433, but it's still for that defensive midfielder, it's the same kind of issue where you've got that space to either side of you. And this was a problem before for DC, even when in 2016, when they were winning games playing that formation, it was they were winning games because they were winning 4 2, not because they were shutting down that area of the field. They were giving up uh, a lot in that area. Um, and so, it, it one, it's you know, you look at if you just draw a 4 3 3 on a piece of paper, you'll see that the big space is behind the two central midfielders to either to the right or the left of the defensive midfielder. There's a big area there that's this is a reason why a lot of players like to attack in those spaces is because that's where the space will be. Um, but if you're going to play that way, you have to find a way to deal with that. And DC isn't there yet. Um, I don't know if this is a junior Moreno problem or a Fred Briant problem or really just a team structure problem. Uh, but something's got to change there because uh, you're not going to get, you know, if this ball, if the ball pops up and hits Torres in the ribs, DC doesn't get a win on this game. I don't think, I think, at best, they get a draw, and maybe they yep. even just straight up lose. Maybe even more likely, they straight up lose. So um, we have to concede that this is – it was going to be a work in progress regardless because it's game two, but uh, there's more work to be done than maybe I think we should be happy with. Uh, I would be more comfortable if there was less work to be done. Um, and this is a big – you know, Ben's point is a big one, that uh, the team's giving up too many decent chances or decent chances to create in that area of the field. We saw some, um, obviously some, some improvement immediately after the red card, as we talked about, um, you, you can't get mad about two goals in three minutes. Um, but after the, the celebration of that, it was almost like, um, it was definitely a release, an emotional release in the stands and on the field. You saw the players celebrating in front of the Chico stand and and almost wanting to jump up into the stands. Um, but they seemed to lose some edge after that second goal. I don't know if it was Miami snapping out of their stupor um, after going down to 10 men and having a goal chalked off or, or if it was DC United actually letting off the gas a little bit. But... Uh, Miami came into the game in a big way, in a different way too than they had earlier on. They weren't sitting back and hitting on the counter. They were possessing the ball and pushing DC United back. And they didn't have a ton of shots out of it, but they had some good opportunities. Um, DC United, frankly, a little lucky to hold on to the win, even up a man, which is not something you love to say. I mean, is it... Again, I'm, I'm talking about confirmation bias again this week, but this one I feel a little str- more strongly about is that DC United hasn't been great over the past few years playing up a man. It seems like they often revert to just trying to scrap out wins instead of taking control of the game, uh, which is a skill set that needs to be built for sure, but it is a skill set that DC United has not built and has continually not built. Yeah, Ben Olson talked about this after the game, I know. Um, and he, he had a couple of criticisms for, for his players. One was, you know, possess the ball, kill the game, uh, be a little braver to, to hang on to the ball. You, you're up a man, make them chase it. And if you're not going to, if you're going to play very fast and vertical the way DC United did when they got the ball, then you got to finish off one of those chances. And Eric Sorga, mm-hmm. uh, who came into this as a sub um, in the first half, he had a, a, few chances um, on the breakaway. DC United were finding the opportunities on the breakaway. They just weren't able to put them away. Um, you have to do one or the other. You either have to hang on to the ball and kill the game and make the other team chase, or you got to put the game away with that extra goal. And they didn't do either of them. So thankfully they did hang on though for the win. I, I will say, you know, on there was the one tackle, uh, you know, Sorgas trying to get a shot away and he gets tackled. Um, that's at the opposite end of the press box. And since I was at the national team game Sunday, I haven't had time to rewatch the game yet. So um, I don't really have a firm position on how much of a, whether that was a foul or not. Um, he could have shot earlier. I think that's probably the best way to deal with that one is just get the shot away before um, the tackle arrives. Um, but I think overall, as much as, you know, Sorga or any striker making their debut, if they get a couple of, 
um, breakaway style chances and don't convert, it tends to look pretty bad. Um, I thought overall he looked pretty promising. Um, he's different from Kamara in that he wants to sort of put his foot on the ball and run at people. He wants to sort of isolate defenders and beat them that way. Um, Kamara, I think, wants to get free without the ball, and Sorga's looking to use a fake to open up those windows. Um, so there's a difference in how they play, but it's promising. I would much rather see Sorga have two breakaways and not put them away in his first ever appearance in a situation where he came in in the 15th minute uh, than a situation where he comes in for the last half hour and doesn't really do anything. Um, that would be more concerning to me than what we saw. We saw someone that yeah. got into positions where he almost scored. Um, there was also that cross that he tried to reach back for, and it just was a little too far. Mm-hmm. I think he clipped it with his toe. Is that, that was all yeah, he could do. It would have been a really um, acrobatic goal. <laughs> yeah. It that, yeah um, that, that was a, as it was a, a nearly Donovan Pines level of flexibility. Um, so um, I'm not going to have any real problem with that. I think it was an encouraging came in with confidence for sure. I mean, at one point he he basically took the ball off of Edison Flores's foot, which is a hell of a thing for a young player to do to the most expensive signing in team history. Um, I'm not saying he was wrong to do it, but the the confidence to just say, yeah, I'm I've got the angle. I'm going to take this and just run with it. Uh, is not a bad thing in a striker by any means. Um, and I hope he keeps that. Uh, unfortunately, Sorgo was in the game because of an injury to Ola Kamara. Uh, Joseph Mora also came out in the first half. Both of those appear to be hamstring issues. Um, I guess Kamara's has been dealing with a little bit of tightness here and there, but they, they thought it was, wasn't bad enough to, to sit him. Um, Unfortunately, it, it seems to have tweaked. We don't know the severity of, of either of these injuries. Hopefully, they're, they're back very quickly. But uh, in their absence, we did get to see Sorga's debut. And as Jason mentioned earlier, we got to see O'Neill Fisher's emotional return to the field after 18 months uh, on the shelf, essentially, for, uh, for his own knee injury. Um, I was happy to see quite a few people in in my part of the stadium give him a standing ovation when he came on the field because it's very well deserved after <laughs> fighting to come back. Yeah, it, yeah, was, it's, it was. Oh, go ahead, Ben. No, just I'm sure I'm going to say something similar to what you were going to say. Uh, it's great to see him back. It's uh, he played well when he was on the field in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yes. And after the whole injury thing that he's gone through the surgeries, it's just great to see him back. And I hope that he can contribute uh, for the rest of the season. Cause we know the team needs fullbacks and uh, especially with the uh, injury to Joseph Mora, uh, who knows how long he's out. O'Neill Fisher is going to need to play a, a, a lot of minutes this year. Yeah. And, and speaking to uh, right now, or I guess after the game, I should say um, Olsen said they weren't sure what or how long Mora's injury is going to be, but that it, it had to do with him jamming his foot into the ground. Um, so this wasn't a, I'm running a sprint and my hamstring pops. It's, it was a weird, um, you know, kind of a, a, not a contact injury with a player, but a contact injury with the playing surface um, and not a DC defenders playing surface injury either. Um, I don't think that was implied there, um, but I will say that Morrow was walking around fine after the game um, in street clothes. He, he didn't look to be limping or anything. So um, I don't know if that means he'll be fine or if it's going to be a few weeks, we don't know. Um, but uh, you know, Fisher, it was clearly, you know, it was a huge moment for him. You, you could see after the game that he was tearing up, um, getting back out there uh, after the game, talking to him. It was also, you know, he was still sort of like kind of blown away by the fact that he had been out for so long. His last game had been September 29th, 2018. Um, so he'd been out for that long. He, he, he did play in that friendly against Bermuda. Um I got to talk to him during preseason about that. And he said that that was a huge moment for him as well. Um, And mostly that was more about the fact that he came through the game without any setbacks because he's had a few setbacks. Um, uh, He did, he did go out of his way to mention that he's been training at left back quite a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and I've seen that though, though I think at the sessions I've been at, I would say that it's been more 50, 50 with him and Odo Atsum. They've both been switching back and forth. Um, so it, you know, if Mora has to sit out for a week or two, I would say, you know, you probably think that Fisher probably has the advantage because that's where Olsen turned to first, uh, in this specific situation. But I, I you know, it, it wouldn't entirely shock me if, it's Fisher on the bench again this weekend, just because um, he's been a little further behind uh, throughout the preseason in terms of being 90 minutes fit. Um, you of course, you remember last year he played some, so he has some intermittent time where he was, he was fit enough to be training at full speed and playing in games that Fisher didn't have. Um, so I think that's going to be a big thing to watch um, for the team this week is um who's ready to go 90 because certainly this is not a team that can afford to make any more early subs or subs that they didn't, uh, that aren't for tactical reasons that are for, Oh, this guy can't run any more reasons. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's a big deal for the group. Um, the happiness that the group has for, for Fisher and for Odaatsum getting back in games for, for Assad scoring a goal. Um, it means a lot to them for the guys that were they're here for, you know, their, their previous times here. Um, so yeah, it's a, a big moment for the group and hopefully it's, you know, I also, I, I will say, I think Fisher did a pretty decent job, um, uh, for his part, his, the actual soccer side was, was pretty good. Um, or I had some, I, I think he had a couple of very rusty touches that, that didn't help. Um, but the fortunate thing with him is that he's got so much speed that when he does have a moment like that, he still usually gets into position to make a recovery tackle. Um, this isn't like a guy with average speed makes those touches. They're in deep trouble. The whole team is in deep trouble, but uh, he managed to sort of correct his mistakes to a certain extent. So um, it's a, it's an interesting position to be in with those guys because they're probably one of them is probably going to need to play 90 minutes uh, against Cincinnati this weekend. Hopefully we see a, a general better effort against FC Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati next week. Um, Obviously, this this more front foot four three three is uh, a, a a work in progress. I think is is how we put it earlier in the show. Um, I don't think Flores got on the ball enough in this game, uh, and hopefully, we'll we'll see more of him. You know, in in good positions with the ball next week. Um, Jason, we got a question on Twitter that I. Uh, in a fit of poor planning did not bring up in front of me, but I know I have you tab to answer it. So, <laughs> um, have the floor. Um, yeah. So in a couple different places, we got, uh, the same general question, um, which is basically with these injuries in mind, the fact that DC is so shorthanded right now, um, can they turn to Loudon and bring some guys in, um, on the short-term contracts that are allowed. Um, and this is the answer. Uh, also, this is also from Richard Rolson. Uh, yes. Tweeted it at and, us. And uh, I can't find, I, I'm not even sure which article the comment was in. Um, I'm going to try yeah. and find it while I'm uh, speaking right now. I think I've got the right article. Um, yeah. Uh, Gumby G in our freedom kicks from Monday also has a similar question. So um, the issue here is that, the rules are pretty clear on this. And the answer is no, uh, DC can't bring in Loudon players right now. Um, I'm looking at the rules and regulations for the league. Uh, I'm going to just quote them directly. Uh, a club may say may sign players from its USL affiliate to short term agreements, which are four day contracts, uh, for CONCACAF champions league, Canadian championship, Lamar hunt, us open cup leagues, cup Campiones cup and exhibition exhibition matches. Um, a club may sign a player to a maximum of four short-term agreements each season, um, which is actually a, ch- a slight change. It used to be that once you signed someone to that fourth one, you were obliged to offer them a full deal. Um, th- so the language there has changed a little bit. Um, players may also be signed to short-term agreements for MLS league season games, but only in cases of extreme hardship. Uh, the extreme hardship clause says that uh, clubs are allowed to add players when they have what's legally for MLS defined as extreme hardship, which means you have fewer than two goalkeepers available, 
or if you have fewer than 14 field players available. Um, DC United right now, if we even if we assume that Segura, Kamara, and Mora are unavailable, DC would have 16 field players and two goalkeepers available, according to the last injury report, which Not means great. they have they have too many guys healthy to call up Loudon players right now. So they can't do this, even if they wanted to, even if they were thinking of doing going that route, they can't. They they aren't allowed. Um, so someone like Pebo Due, who, for example, that's who Gumby G was bringing up, was the option of calling up Loudon's left back and captain um, and former DC Academy member Pebo Due. They can't. Uh, someone else, or actually three more field players, would have to get injured before they could go that route. So we're a long way away, um, though at the injury rate right now, it feels like a long way becomes a short way in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, they, they cannot do that. So the solution, if you want more human beings that can play soccer at an adequate level on DC United's roster right now will be to sign more players that can do that. You can't get them from loud you have to get them from somewhere else. Ben, do you think DC United should sign more players? Yes, they should have done it in the preseason. They should have done it before now. They should still do it because they need more players. I'm surprised I didn't hear you saying they should sign more players earlier than now. I mean, I I, I like to pick my my times to bring that up. But (laughs) like Jason just said, they can't get them from Loudon, so they have to get them from elsewhere. Um. I like the very dramatic elsewhere. I just want to throw it out there. Um, We're going to end the segment on a bit of a downer. um, That's not really related to soccer. Um, Real life creeps into sports every now and again. MLS joined major league baseball, uh, the NBA and NHL uh, on Monday. And we're recording this on Monday to announce that locker room, locker rooms would be closed. Uh, for the foreseeable future to anyone who's not player personnel or critical team staff, uh, which means no media in the locker rooms, which is the North American tradition for media access. Uh, instead, they will set up it player interviews in the press room, essentially in the media, in the press conference room. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. Jason, you might know better than I do. Uh, on that front, uh, I assume that the team will opt for something like the national team does, which is a mix zone, um, a mix zone for those of you who haven't spent time standing there at the mix zone. Uh, basically, you set up a path between the field and the locker room. So the players have to walk past the reporters to get to the locker room, um, at which point they can you can ask, hey, can you? ask answer some questions and if a player doesn't want to talk to you they can say no and keep walking but they do have to actually respond to something they have to answer a question somehow um even if it's just to keep walking past you and refuse to answer they get the option um that's what i assume is going to happen but this is something that came out you know three four hours before we start recording this um i'm going to training tomorrow so i get to ask the comm staff what their plan is i'm sure they're probably thinking about it right now because um, this is something that the league has never had to deal with. Uh, the league has never had a, an outbreak of a virus before or bacteria or anything that has caused them to take this sort of step. So um, we're in kind of uncharted territory. It's going to be an interesting situation. Um, in you know last year, they had plenty of room to do this kind of thing in the media room. But as I think we've talked about, the, half the press conference room at least has been cut down to become the gym because you can't go to RFK stadium because there's asbestos and lead. So that space is gone. So it might take some, you know, temporary stuff being put up in the path to the locker rooms. Um, I know from covering the spirit where uh, for a pretty good reason, you can't go in the locker room. This is how it works. You go, the players have to cross, cross, you know, walk past the media to get to the locker room, be it at the Plex. They have to walk past the end of the field to get up, to walk up the little hill to go to the uh, locker room at Audi field. They set it up. So there's just basically like a little press pen that we stand in and they have to walk past us to get into the locker room. And there are like black uh, modesty curtains set up. Um, That's probably what I would expect because that's the only 
team that's played there that's done this before. If anything, United might want to give them a call. And now that I'm thinking about it as to what to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a strange scenario to say the least. Um, but it, it's probably for the safety's sake of everyone, a good idea because locker rooms, even if they're kept extremely clean are just a breeding ground for bad stuff. I mean, it's a humid room full of people who have been sweaty and possibly been like cut by, you know, someone's studs getting raked down their shin or whatever. You got a lot of things going on in there. Um, even the cleanest locker rooms like NFL teams have had MRSA outbreaks in their locker rooms and they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep their locker rooms disinfected and cleaned. So they're not the safest place for anyone to be. So having a bunch of random media people in there is not good for the players. It's not good for them. There's also the dynamic of just like, do you really want like random media people with cell phones and cameras and stuff on them while you're trying to change? You know, there's a bond of trust there, but also like it just takes one person to be uh, to have some bad ideas in their head that this could all go wrong. So the whole thing is a strange dynamic. Um, Every single time you go in there, it's weird. So, yeah, I I think the league might want to consider getting this policy right and adapting it when we don't have to deal with uh, any pandemics. Um, But also, I don't you know. I don't think that this is going to go away anytime soon. It doesn't sound like this is a two week problem. This might be how things are done for the rest of the year. Yeah. Sam Stasekel reporting for the athletic just before we recorded that the league has discussed what would have to be kind of almost the worst case scenario, which would be playing games behind closed doors as they are doing in Italy, um, where there is a major major outbreak much worse than anything we've they're seen not, in the US so playing, far. They're not even playing games in Italy anymore. They've they've just oh, wow. paused I, on the whole season because the whole country is that. on lockdown. Um yeah. that's how but that's how fast things are moving right now is that mm-hmm. you know if you spent your time getting home from work, you know, getting home from work and like making dinner, you probably missed like five news items about about this sort of thing. Um yeah. We're in a, I mean, by the time this comes out, it's probably going to have changed again. So things are getting weird. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take the opportunity now to go wash my hands before we uh, we bring on our guest, which you will probably hear uh, a day or two after you you actually hear this episode. Thank you all for, for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com, patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to throw some money our way. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu. Email us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We do read every email we get, even if we don't respond. Um, that's just how modern email works, man. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly just tell a friend about the show. Spread the word around. Word of mouth is uh, the marketing of the past, present, and future. So do that for us, and we'll be eternally grateful. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Wash your hands for real. Don't just do like a fake wash. Do it for real. 30 seconds. Sing happy birthday twice. <laughs>